This person died in 2020 at age 80. Walter Matthau. No, but great guess. He ran a leg with the Olympic torch in advance of the 1996 games in Atlanta. All I want to say is Joan Rivers, and I know it's not Joan Rivers. He appeared frequently as himself in movies, including in Charlie's Angels in 2000 and on The Colbert Report. Jim Brown? Not Jim Brown. He was an authoritative and unflappable fixture for millions of Americans. He had impeccable diction. I have no idea. (laughs) Johnny Carson? Not Johnny Carson. He won six Emmys and a Lifetime Achievement Award. I'm thinking like a Dan Rather type, but he's still alive. He had a friendly rivalry with Pat Sajak. Oh, Bob Barker. Ah, Not Bob Barker. (laughs) No. (laughs) He hosted Jeopardy for a record-setting 37 years. Alex Trebek. (laughs) Today's dead celebrity (laughs) is Alex Trebek. Answer there. The first of the daily doubles, and you are now in the lead. Oh, good. I love you. What is with you? Till next time, folks. So long. Welcome to Famous and Gravy. I'm Michael Osborne. My name is Amit Kapoor. And on this show, we go through a series of categories about multiple aspects of a famous person's life. We want to figure out the things in life that we would actually desire and ultimately answer a big question. Would I want that life? Today, Alex Trebek died 2020, age 80. Category one, grading the first line of their obituary. Quick programming note on this. The New York Times deviated from format, so I had to look around, and the only one I could find that approximated it was the Washington Post. It's devastating. I know. I was very disappointed. Anyway, Alex Trebek, who became known to generations of television viewers as the quintessential quiz master, bringing an air of bookish politesse to the garish coliseum of game shows as the longtime host of Jeopardy, died November 8th at his home in Los Angeles. He was 80. What was the word after bookish? Politis, politis. It's polite with S-S-E after that. So Politis. Politis. Isn't that what I said? I I have no idea how to pronounce it. What is garish? So bookish politis to the garish coliseum of game shows. So I think what they're saying is most other game shows are garish, but Jeopardy separates itself out. Yes, Actually, that's my main criticism of this obituary is that, like, why are you taking jabs at other game shows? I think that has everything to do with the long run of Jeopardy. Yeah. And has everything to do with Alex's appeal, I think. Yeah. I read a word in one of the other obituaries that Jeopardy was a show without histrionics. It basically just means hoopla and fanfare. Yeah. I think that was good of the Washington Post to do that. I guess so. I don't know. I mean, it's not just longevity. It's actually reputation that distinguishes Jeopardy. You know, if you look at Wheel of Fortune or if you look at Price is Right, then those are, I think, the nearest comparisons in terms of popularity. 
they're not as intellectual. They're not as smart, right? Yeah. But it's, it's the I lack, it's the lack garish, of though. garishness. Feels, it's the lack of garishness. Yes. Yeah. I guess. Uh, and what what did they use at the beginning? Quiz master? Quintessential quiz master. Which is true. And I didn't know a lot about that until researching for this episode. How much of Trebek's career pre-Jeopardy was actually in the quiz category. That's right. What's it missing other than being in the New York Times? That's an interesting question. I'm not sure it's missing a whole hell of a lot, actually. There's not other things that we know him for. Yeah. Well, I hate that I don't know this word, politesse. It makes me feel stupid. You don't know how to pronounce it. But you're able to define it. Like, if it, was a, if it were an SAT word, you take the Latin origin. How to say... Oh, I actually did do this the other day. <laughs> how to say it's that. already been Googled? Uh, yeah, how to, how to say politesse. Here it is. Is that a... Can we use that phrase? ABG? Already been Googled? Politus. 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 Why does yours have such a robot voice? That's YouTube. Oh. Yeah. It rhymes with elitist. Politus. Oh, interesting. I, does that change your... Uh, well, the, when I finally pursue freestyle rapping, as I've intended to do for a while, <laughs> I have a word that can rhyme with elitist. This comes up. Politus. So I have my score. I'm going to give it an eight, and it's because this word bothers me. We just don't know enough about the Washington Post style. I that's why that's I just right. don't even feel right grading it. It's like a substitute teacher. I agree, but, you know, the class is in, and we still have to take the test. So what are you giving it? It was comprehensive. Absence of Canadian is a problem. Lots of adjectives, some that we didn't know, right? which is very fitting for the show that he represented. So I'm going to go seven. Okay. Yeah. I feel like it's uh, these get seven and eight with an asterisk. Normally, we're much more enthusiastic. We're like... Damn right, I'm going to give it a seven. You know, it's not that I even want to necessarily promote the New York Times for any reason whatsoever. I just have become very habituated to their first line of the obituary. And you're absolutely right. I don't know how to compare this with other Washington Post first yeah. lines of their obituaries. I think that's the thing. You started us out with a disappointment. You should start with the good news first. I apologize. Okay, so and then tell me later. You know what? I'm going to then tell, tell you me afterwards that, that this, hey, would this was actually up. the Washington yeah, Post. Yeah, but that would have been deceptive. I'm going to read you what the New York Times says, so just you're clear. Okay. There's the headline: Alex Trebek, longtime host of Jeopardy, dies at 80. And then the first line is: At a restaurant several years ago, a stranger went up to Alex Trebek, the longtime host of Jeopardy, and as strangers often did, tried to stump him. Okay, it's a nice story, but God damn it, I want the first line of the obituary from the New York Times. Yeah. Eight and seven. Eight and seven. Let's, go, let's move on. Category two, five things I love about you. Here, Amit and I work together to come up with five reasons why we're talking about this person and why we might love them. I bet you got a lot. I, I do got a lot. You can go first, though. All right, I'll lead with the strongest thing I got. Curiosity, man. Both a promoter of it and somebody who embodied it. As a life quality, I could not think of anything more admirable. Yeah. To me, it's what life is all about. Being interested in things and people and different subjects and different knowledge domains, to be a curious individual is to be virtuous. So yeah. it's a uh, very Buddhist thing. Is it? A very like mindful thing to approach things with curiosity. Yeah, I suppose not, that's true. Not with attachment. Yeah. But what you're saying is he he was both a curious individual and he promoted the idea of curiosity. Correct. So it's not only a desirable quality in a person, but he's promoting this virtuous quality to the world. Exactly. He's okay. all about it. Good yeah. one. Thank Good you. One. Okay, I'm going to go with focus. When you read the stories about a lot of former contestants and former champions, one of the things they said most frequently that they were most impressed by him was that he paid attention. Mm. So he listened to every detail of what they said off camera. And ever he talked to people, there was no question whether he was listening or not. I will also just say the, the work ethic that accompanied 
the way he approached Jeopardy. So he read every single clue prior to the start of the show to make sure that, A, he could pronounce everything and it could roll off the tongue. Yeah. And secondly, he also wanted to make sure that nothing was too, too difficult. Yeah. He recorded 8,000-something shows, and he read every single clue in advance. I like that one. Okay. Good, good one. Shall I take number three? Yeah. He cursed a lot. <laughs> if you can, there's some really great hot mic outtakes on the internet. So keep watching Jeopardy 24 hours a day and call this number. Yeah, dumb son of a bitch. You don't watch it 24 hours a day. There's a daily cash prize of $1,000 and fuck. No shit. Call now and play phone Jeopardy. Fuck them. Man, I love hearing him curse because he's so straight-laced. Another thing I have on here that I don't think I'm going to nominate for the five things is his love of suits. The man is incredibly well-dressed. Right. And I just love hearing F-bombs drop from somebody who seems straight-laced and presents so well. Because of the contradiction? Because of the contradiction. But I also I like that that there, there's a, a hidden expressiveness about him, right? You feel you you get this sense from the man that there's more going on and that he's kind of containing it. I curse quite a bit, and I like to break the ice with people. Use like I'm usually it's a, little, it's a litmus test. Yeah, when I meet a stranger, no, I don't know if it's coolness exactly. I guess it's so. disarming, also. But I feel like it normalizes things, right? So I am with every stranger I meet. I'm kind of waiting to like, can I curse yet? To just see if it, you know, to see if it's okay. And I, I just love that Alex Trebek was known for this behind the scenes. Yeah, I've got a story about that. When I went to uh, freshman orientation for college, mm-hmm. I went actually with my friend Patrick, who was one of my high school friends. And during this, like, orientation, as we're meeting new people for the first time, you know, you'd sit down at lunch with them, and we had kind of come up with it as a test of how these people react if we just say, like, uh, hey, do you like the fucking okra? Um, <laughs> And it was like our way to filter out if we can be friends with these people. <laughs> so yeah, I the, mean, the sad ending is we didn't really make any friends. But maybe that's for the best. I mean, I think it <laughs> should be a filtering test. You know, I think it, it, it signals to somebody that you're comfortable with them when you curse. Maybe it was because it was prohibited when I was a kid, and you know, when I finally got to watch PG thirteen and R movies and hear people say fuck all the time or whatever. So, yeah, but you like it on Alex because he is so composed, but it's giving this reality to him, but also a confidence. Yes. I'd like to point out something. You said uh, the suits, you know, yeah. as part of this, as part of this seemingly contradiction, but so I'm do a throwback to Roger Moore. Mm. Is Alex Trebek dapper? Yes. I think so too. Yeah. yeah. We have, we've had at least two dapper dead celebrities yes. on pre- and post-mustache. That's right. Great call. Okay. Oh, what do you got for number four? Work schedule. They filmed, I think, 10 shows of Jeopardy in two days. It was like every Tuesday or Wednesday, he goes in, works from like 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. They fire off five shows. The winner goes back, changes clothes, and they keep recording. Yeah. But that's it. Two-day work week. Yeah. He had the rest of, there. I'm sure there's lots of additional time to do, but I idealize that. I mean, I think this five-day work week is nonsense. And I like that Alex figured this out. Yeah, fuck Tim Ferriss with his four-day bullshit. Let's you know, cut that in half. Yeah, I mean, think about family time, kids' time. It's I have so many problems with the five-day work week. It just doesn't make any sense to me why, why it's five-sevenths yeah. of our life, um, <laughs> yeah, 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 so yeah, to speak. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I love that Alex did it this way. Yeah, I agree. Did you catch what he did for breakfast? 
He said like Diet Coke and Reese's Pieces or something. Diet Coke and a candy bar. Yeah. I thought that that's, that when you were saying workday, you were also speaking to workday routine. Because he does not look like at all the type of person that would drink cola and candy for breakfast. And did not exercise too, but we'll talk more about that, I think. So am I taking five? Yep. I have committed stepdad. So he had two marriages. We'll get to that later. And he had a stepdaughter, but he developed a real genuine relationship with his adopted stepdaughter. He actually adopted her at age six, first of all, but brought her into the family. And the reason I have this is because I've met a handful of stepdads over the years. That is a thankless job. Most stepdads, you know, they try and step in. They realize they're not the biological guy, but they still have all this expectation and roles. And I think it's just hard. I think it's really thankless. And he, from what I could see, performed it really, really well. His stepdaughter ended up actually working on Jeopardy as a producer at times. Really? Yeah. Isn't that great? I mean, she was involved in the production. I think I saw her listed as a producer. I know she worked on the crew. So I think it's got to be called out. I like that a lot. You know, what pop culture is like really done terrible things with the idea of step-parents and stepchildren. Example. I can't think of a movie, but just think of the idea of like this this awful phrase of like redheaded stepchild. Yeah. Or wicked stepmother. You know, you just assume that it's it's a bad relationship, that one side is either the child or the parent or both are bad, or that they essentially hate each other for some reason. I love this correction of Alex Trebek because, I mean, there's so much of that, right? We talk about our love and marriage category, right? And we've clearly unearthed that a lot of people that we've talked about have children from multiple marriages. And so it's a fact in modern-day America. It just is that a lot of people will have step relationships. And I think you have to go 150% to, like, assert yourself into a step role. You Correct. know what I mean? And it's an easy excuse, I think, to— I don't think we talk about it that much either. No, I don't yeah. think so. That's why I like that you brought it up, because it's an easy excuse to to have conditional love, right? You know, a parent-child is—we assume it's going to be unconditional love. Yeah. A step relationship, we kind of assume it's conditional. But what you're saying about Alex Trebek is that he had unconditional love. That's right. So that, is that our five? That's our five. So, okay, let's review real quick. I said curiosity. You said focus. focus. Then I said cursed a lot. You said work week. Work week. And I said committed stepdad. That's five. Before we move on, I got to throw something in here. I can tell just the way we're talking right now. Like, there's a lot to love about this guy. We even had so much stuff we didn't even cram it all in. I was listening to a podcast recently of somebody talking about Alex Trebek around the time of his death, and they led with, he's got a 100% approval rating. I had a friend yesterday uh, who I said, you know, we're going to do an Alex Trebek on Famous Engraving tomorrow. He goes, fuck that guy. It's the first time I ever heard anybody say that. So I almost feel like you have to make the case a little bit for why we shouldn't love this man. And I don't know where else to do it in our show. Let's take a stab at it. I think his case was that there's a smugness. You'll learn from Corneille and La Rochefoucauld if you visit Madame de Rambouillet's 17th century one of these gatherings. Jan. What is a salon? Salon. What is salon? Salon. You are au courant. Voila. Yeah, it's the unshakability, the unflappability that you talked about. Yeah. That, that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. You would also hear him at times almost have a slightly condescending demeanor. Yes. On the show, right? You would hear him correct somebody and be like, no, you didn't get that, you dumb shit. Yes. Like the subtext of it. Which was all the parodies of him were exactly that, of like people like blowing up because they just can't stand his smugness. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I want to throw a little bit of water on how much we love this guy. Because he, I think, has right now his reputation and his approval rating really couldn't be higher, even two years after his death. Yeah, but he certainly had his detractors. I mean, I, this 
personality he has is really nice as a host that we view on TV. Yeah. But if you imagine that on like a coworker, that could really oh yeah, probably drive me crazy. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Well, it's a good reminder that the experience of someone on television is very different than the experience of someone in real life. Yeah, in person. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Okay. All right, category three, Malkovich Malkovich. This category is named after the movie Being John Malkovich, in which people take a little door and enter into John Malkovich's mind, and they can have a seat right behind John Malkovich's eyes. Malkovich Malkovich. Malkovich Malkovich Malkovich. What do you got here? I have what I call being Santa Claus. I just made up that phrase, but this is what it is. And it happened a few times, but if I need to just tell it in the form of one story— I can. And this is from one of the articles I was reading. I think this was after Trebek died. They interviewed a bunch of former contestants and specifically former champions. Mm -hmm. So there are moments in Jeopardy where somebody gives an answer, but it's not quite enough, right? But it's not clearly wrong. It's just kind of in this gray area. Does he not say, let's ask the judges? Isn't this a moment where you say, let's ask the judges? No, there's another instance that I still think the judges are speaking into his ear and saying we may be able to allow this, but he doesn't overtly say, let's ask the judges. I see. So what he does is somebody gives an answer that's partially incomplete or partially complete, and it just needs a little more tuning on it in order to be right. So the way Alex Trebek delivered that, it was gift-giving. He looks at you, like he has so much confidence in you, and he gives you a little bit of a hint towards what else you need to say. But in his tonality or in his voice or something? They said he kind of does it in his look. Interesting. So I guess maybe there is a slight intonation change, but the example I read, so this was from somebody who he said he almost missed on the clue. The clue that he received is, it's the accident that got 78-year-old Texas lawyer Harry Whittington into political news in 2006. Okay. And the contestant said, what is getting shot in the face? And Alex gestured for more. So he did like a hand roll or he raised his eyes to kind of indicate you need to give a little more. And the contestant then said, by Dick Cheney. And then that was the correct answer. Wow. So I would love to be in that seat where you want to look at somebody and you say, okay, you're just a little closer to winning and a little closer to potentially money. And he just like sends his Jedi mind force out and tries to like telepathically tell them in his face without any words, you've got the answer on the tip of your tongue. And if I look at you and smile at you and give you a little more confidence, it's going to spill out. That's great. I mean, it's direction in a sense, but it's it's so subtle. It's in body language. It's energy transfer too, depending on what you believe in. I mean, it is it is a powerful force by looking at somebody emoting in a certain way with your face and letting that little bit spill out. And so this is a Malkovich moment because you not only want to see what's going on behind the eyes of the man who's able to do that, but like the whole experience of the body of being Yeah, so I want to see behind the man, which is the- Behind the mind, really. Behind the mind of saying, okay, this is my, it's time to be generous. Yeah. Okay, and then the actions that go into it where you're shaping your face, you're shaping your eyes. You're summing you're up the maybe energy. You're mouthing. Yeah. You're going for the eye contact. You look at him. You see the light bulb go off. They drop the answer. And then there's just... Dissipation. Yeah. I mean, there's silent applause everywhere. But yeah, yeah all that occurs in three seconds. And I think that'd be great to have a front row seat too. It's a great one. Yeah. All right, my Malkovich moment? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with a kind of simple one. 
when Alex Trebek was still working at Canada and the at the CBC, Canadian Broadcast Corporation, he had to announce that Kennedy had been shot and killed. Oh, really? Yeah. He was on air, and he was the guy who had to deliver that message. And I just think that'd be interesting. Like, what a moment. You know, I, I think he's Canadian, so he's got a different relationship with what this means. But actually, like, be a broadcaster in that moment. What do you think it's like? That's a great question. It's actually not so different than yours in a way. I feel like that is a moment of empowerment. You have to imagine that you're connecting with a much larger audience in that moment. But I also just found it an interesting bit of trivia. What did it feel like? That's a great question. As disorienting, as scary as every as it must have felt for everybody else, but I think you communicate that emotion and the nuance of the voice. Yeah, and you also have to communicate a calmness, I think. I, yeah, I think that's right. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Category four, love and marriage. How many marriages? Also, how many kids? And is there anything public about these relationships? Shall I just knock it out? Yeah. First marriage, Elaine, I don't know how to say her last name, Elaine Kaleli. She was a former Playboy Playmate, and they were married in 1974, divorced in 1981, no kids, but there was this adopted daughter. Nikki is her name. So the, she had had the daughter from a previous She had marriage? had the daughter, or a previous relationship, yeah. Okay. And then Alex was 34 when they married and 41 when they divorced. And it sounded like an amicable divorce. It is worth noting, though, that this marriage and divorce happened before he became host of Jeopardy, and he was sort of hopping from gig to gig, game show to game show, and not making a lot of money. So it does sound like there was actually real financial pressure on the marriage at that time. Okay. And then wife number two, Jean Curvan, they married in 1990. Alex was 50 years old, and they did have two children, one boy and one girl, Matthew and Emily. And they were together until Alex died at age 80. Okay, what did she do for a living? I read this. <sighs> I saw a few different things. I know at one point she had a flower business. I thought she was cool. in a real estate in New York. That may be it. That may be it. I don't think it's in New York. I think it's in LA. Okay. How but, did they meet? 
That's a good question. I did read this in the because I read a biography of Trebek. I can't remember. And one thing I did not note is that there's a very large age disparity. She was significantly younger. I think 24 years younger than him. Okay. Um, oh, that's very Mandela. Yeah, it is. Trebek. It is. <laughs> so, yeah, quite a large age gap. Here's something I did not know about Alex Trebek, that he was an attractive man. Oh, yeah. Well, I see it now, but I, I don't know. When you're growing up, everybody who's got gray hair is just old. Yeah. You know, and I never would have thought of him as like, you know, d- desirable from in an attractive way. And I just hadn't thought about it in years. And so that he was married to a woman who was a you know playboy playmate. And, you know, when he was in Canada and Toronto and Ottawa before that, was described as like one of the city's most eligible bachelors. Like yeah. that, that surprised me. Yeah. I would not have thought that. And I think throughout his career, there were people throwing themselves at him. I don't think there was any accusations of infidelity, but I read about that. I didn't see anything. I think he was quite the recluse. He think he was a family man. I'm not the recluse, but I think he, he shied away from any advances that happened. In fact, it sounded like a, a very healthy marriage, the second wife in particular, and even the divorce from the first wife. And then older father, right? I mean, he, he marries a much younger woman, but he becomes a new dad after he's age 50. And I guess I wanted to ask, like, do we make of it anything of that? Of becoming an older dad? Yeah. Everyone always argues, right, that you don't want to be an older father. And I want to stop all this by just saying I understand how it's it's not a fair trade, right? Women certainly have biological restrictions that make it much harder to be a parent later in life. Yeah. And I'm not that's not fair. But the case I hear from friends and peers and stuff of not wanting to be an older father is that you can't get on your knees and play with your children and play ball and go to the games and stuff like that. Yeah, your energy diminishes and so forth. David Letterman talks about that a lot. I think George Clooney does too. I don't know if it's a regret, but I've heard him talk about being an older father. But you look at somebody like, and Clooney I think had kids in his 50s. Yes. I mean, these are very fit, capable guys. Do you think they are missing any part of the gift of fatherhood by doing it that late? Asking for myself. Yeah, sure. I don't think so. Uh, you know, I didn't become a father till I was 34 or 35. And there, it was a part of me that wished we had started earlier for this exact reason, that I would have liked a little bit more energy. At the same time, wasn't ready, you know? And I, I do think the norms on this are shifting in a healthy direction. And let me put it this way, Ahmed. I absolutely don't want to be part of any stigma around older fathers or older mothers for that matter. You mean you don't want to be the recipient of a stigma or you don't want to do anything to perpetuate that stigma? Both. But okay. I was when I said that, I was thinking about perpetuating the stigma. Quite the opposite, if anything. I mean, anybody who is interested in being a parent, I want them to be able to do it whenever they can. There are, as you said, biological realities around this. Right? Sure, and but there are also alternative ways of being a parent. That's true. And those biological realities are uh, harder for women, obviously. But we're talking about dads, I guess. I think you should be able to do it whenever you want to. I do think, and I want science, and I want society to accommodate that as much as possible. I also do think one thing that happens when you become a parent is your social life gets completely upended. And some of the people you bond up with are other new parents. If you are in your 50s and you're becoming a new dad, you might not meet a whole lot of other men or women or whatever in a similar age bracket. And I think that that plays into the experience of parenting in a big way. Because as I said, your social life gets upended and reorganized around the children's lives. I think one other thing that uh, I saw Trebek say, because he he went into death very peacefully, despite the horrible disease that took his life. But he did say one of the things that he 
will miss out on is meeting his grandchildren. Yes, I had that in regrets later. Yeah. I mean, that that is something to consider, I think. if It is, but I think the experience of being a dad is life upending, and the experience of being a grandparent, I don't know, but it's yeah. just a, is icing on the top. Well, there's, a, there's a bit of a trade-off too, right? Or you're yeah. either just not ready, you know, or maybe you, you run the risk of maybe never meeting your grandchildren. But, to me, that the latter risk would suck, but it's much better than to have a children when you're really not ready. That's, that's exactly right. What are we making of the whole Alex Trebek love and marriage? Really thing? good. I, it gets a high score from him. I saw all three children, his adopted daughter and his children with Gene, all like having great things to say about what a committed and involved father he was. I think he was a little bit of a disciplinarian at times, or at least had rules and believed in boundaries. But I think that's a good thing. I think that's a mark of a good father. And I think it, he's clear he was committed to it. I think like he made time for his family based on available information, based on what I read in the bio- biography and based on what I saw all the children saying around the time of his death and after his death. Shall we move on? Yes. Category five, net worth. 75 million? That's what I saw. I kind of wanted it to be a little higher. Really? Yeah. Oh, I thought that I was a great Because I think he was number. getting like, towards the end, he was getting 10 million a year from Jeopardy. 75 million is a lot of fucking money. Oh, yeah, but I'm just, I'm just saying, I when I learned that he was making 10 million a year, on Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. I thought, like, when I finally did the research in this question, it was going to be higher. It's a tremendous amount of money. It's he a doesn't tremendous need, amount of money. I'm very He doesn't happy. need any more. Nobody needs any more. Um, it, it feels like almost a little bit uncomfortably high. I mean, he's deeply involved in philanthropy. I will say this, too. It really seems like he manages money well. Like, you get the sense that he he's a handyman. He knows how to fix things. And I got a story about that later. Or maybe I got it now. So, when he buys a house in L.A., he at some point decides to buy a house next door and fix up one of them, and he rents out the other one to Pete Rose, of all people. So Pete Rose Rose is Alex Who does not manage money well. Pete Rose, exactly, does not manage money well, uh, was Alex Trebek's tenant. And anytime anything would break, Alex Trebek would come running over with his tools. This is how the man got his exercise, was like by running Running over to Pete Rose's house to fix the faucet. Or around his own house to fix the faucet. Like, I mean, I think he would strap on the tool belt and sweat it out. That's how he, like, got his cardio. (laughs) That's how the Diet Coke and Snickers bar was metabolized? According to him. Yes. I have Uh, a feeling a lot of our listeners probably don't even know who Pete Rose was. Baseball player slash manager got in trouble for gambling on his own team. God, do people not know who Pete Rose was? I guess that's true. I don't think so. He also did at one point, I think, hold like some really remarkable hit streaks yeah. and records. Yes, and is famous for not being a part of the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. All right. Anyway, that's Pete Rose. Was Alex Trebek's tenant. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, all right, 75 million. I don't know what to say about it other than I'm I'm very happy with it. Seems like a shit ton of money, but also given his work ethic, I'm very good with that number. Yeah. But it's it's a lot. I mean, he recorded over 8,000 shows of Jeopardy. Is it desirable? I don't—it's it's desirable up to an extent. I think that's a conversation that we end up always having. Yeah. There is a too much discomfort of, like, it, your inability to make certain decisions the way that you have trust issues. Yeah. They just come up because you have so much and that people are at it for different ways. And it's really hard to have new deep connections after a certain point. That's where it becomes troublesome. I don't think he is in that category of wealth. He's just in the category of very wealthy celebrity. Very recognizable. He's on TV all the time. But it's, it's it's not the kind of fame where there's like a sort of, I don't know, insane attribution of how much power he has. Yeah. 
And which I think maybe is part of the desirability question around net worth, because money is one expression of power, but so is notoriety. It's one thing to have $75 million if you made it as an entrepreneur or if you made it as a criminal. <laughs> if you made it, you know, hosting a game show where you're asking, you know, kind of brainy questions to America for 37 years, the representation of fame around that number, I'm pretty okay with. Like the nature of his fame, I guess I'm okay with. Shall we move on? I think so. I think we covered it. I think we're, we're good with where the money is. Category six, Simpsons, Saturday Night Live, or Halls of Fame. This category is a measure of how famous a person is. We include both guest appearances on SNL or The Simpsons, as well as impersonations. So we have to get the easiest one out of the way. Oh, the we, Will Ferrell? The Will Ferrell on SNL. Yeah, so good. <laughs> Mr. Connery, why don't you pick? <laughs> it looks like this is my lucky day. I'll take the rapists for 200. That's therapists. That's, that's therapists, not the rapists. And on the Canadian equivalent of SNL, which I forget what it's called, but Eugene Levy played Trebek. That's right. Uh, uh, SCTV? SCTV, But that Thank doesn't you. stand for Second City Television. It doesn't, but it is SCTV. Okay. That's right. And he apparently, Trebek said Eugene Levy did a better job. That's fine, though. I don't think Will Ferrell's impersonations are quote-unquote good. That was just funny. All right, let's move on to The Simpsons. He also did voice himself on The Simpsons. I had forgotten about this episode. It's called Miracle on Evergreen Terrace. Marge Simpson goes on Jeopardy. She is in negative money. Trebek is trying to re- uh, trying to get it from her, and she runs away. Aren't we forgetting something, Marge? You were down $5,200. But Mr. Trebek... I asked you before the game if you knew the rules, and you said you did. Judges? Red One other thing I forgot to say about uh, the SNL impersonation, not only did he love it, he said it means you've arrived. Oh, did he say that? He actually said that. Thank you, Alex, for validating our category. Finally, Hollywood Walk of Fame. He's got one in 1999. Okay. So he hit the trifecta. And let's also not forget the something like eight-plus Emmys, an Emmy Lifetime Achievement Award. The amount of movies that he played himself or even TV shows, if you look at that list— is overwhelming. I wrote some of them down here. Uh, Rain Man, Golden Girls, Cheers. Do you remember? Cheers, yeah. Beverly Hills, 90210, Family Guy. I mean, it's a huge list. Yeah. So the man's famous. Yes. All right. Category seven, over under. In this category, we look at the generalized life expectancy for the year they were born to see if they beat the house odds and as a measure of grace. So the life expectancy for men in Canada, they give it 1940 to 42. He's born in 1940. It's 63.04 years at birth. And at one year, it's 67.04. For whatever reason, Canada reports these after you've made it past a year. I guess back then they were accounting for infant mortality. So anyway, either way, Alex Trebek died at 80, so he's many years over. But we do this category also to talk about the grace. Can I say something before you hop on that? Yeah. I had it in my head he died young. I kind of did too. Right? Well, because he looks so good. And I guess maybe that is to your, which I think where you were going with this as a measure of grace. He looked great. Yeah. I would have thought if without any data, I would have guessed 65. Yeah, I was surprised about this. I thought we were going to be much closer. So, and it was pancreatic cancer, and it got him pretty quick. Yeah, which is, I mean, that's what killed Steve Jobs. It's one of the worst kinds of cancer. A good friend of mine lost his brother to that a few years back, and it is absolutely 
devastatingly hell. Yeah, I mean, he said there's I'm at stage four and there's no such thing as stage five. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's, you know, th- th- this doesn't look good. And he made a lot of public announcements about this. Yeah. And uh, there were stories he would do the show and then go back to his dressing room and just curl up on the floor crying in pain. Yeah. I mean, it, that said, it did happen fairly quick. I don't know, do, should we make anything about the nature of the death? I've been wondering if this is something we should be talking about more. Uh, I mean, I think we do because I we don't want painful deaths. We've kind of learned that. Long, drawn-out, painful deaths, both for you and your loved ones, do not seem to be desirable. I don't think we're alone in not wanting that. <laughs> but but the point is we we kind of weigh it, yeah. right, in yeah. the whole thing. And you shouldn't, like, it's a little unfair. You shouldn't weigh just the ending. Yeah. Given that death looks uncomfortable and painful most of the time, you know, okay, the, my top choice is— I don't want too much pain. If I don't get that, then I don't want it to be drawn out. I also don't want it to be violent. So I, I guess for me, this is like not a bad death necessarily. 80 is a pretty good age. You made it to the over. A little bit young, but not way young. And I don't want to go through pancreatic cancer. I don't want to go through any kind of cancer. But eh, cancer's going to come along, and this is how I'm going to go. He got a chance to say goodbye and write it out to the end. I don't know. It, it looked not that bad given that no death looks that good. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I, I guess the point we're making is the public Alex Trebek that we saw that he presented himself with was extremely graceful. Yeah, I agree. Let's pause for a word from our sponsor. Hey, folks. Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Michael, I'm thinking of a book. Is it a biography? Uh, it is not. Uh, something in the humor section. No. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to need more information. What are you thinking of? You don't read? Of course I read. I read all the time. I've got like three books on at but, least. So you have no guesses. About what you're reading? Yes. No, I know I what I'm thinking of. Oh. <laughs> what book you're thinking of? Great Gatsby. This is not a bad guess, but it's not correct. You try me. What do you mean? I got to think of a book and you need to try and guess what it is? Yeah. Okay, I've got a book. Uh, Catcher in the Rye. Motherfucker, how did you do that? Because I shop at Half Price Books regularly. <laughs> That was incredible. Uh, do you know what? Half Price Books is celebrating 50 years of buying and selling books, movies, and music. Half Price Books has 125 stores, and you can find out more at hpb.com. Was that really correct? <laughs> no. <laughs> but it was more fun to pretend like it was. Thus far, we have been... After easily knowable information, this point in our show, we get to the more introspective questions. This is where we start to take a good guess of what we think it might have been like to be this person. The first of these categories is man in the mirror. What did they think about their own reflection? Ahmed, what do you got? 
I I tried to think deeply or counterintuitively on this, and I couldn't find it. I think it's just a clean yes. I agree. What's not to like? And I think that he does look confident. I think he was a handsome man. I think, you know, he had a mustache for a while, and then he didn't. And that was exciting for a lot of people. (laughs) And a good smile. So I don't need to make this one problematic. I think it... Let's go both go yes. Yeah, very linear aging too. Like you look at early pictures of him at 30 and then pictures at like 70 and it just looks okay. Yeah. It's a good way of putting it, linear aging. All right, next category, outgoing message. Like Man in the Mirror, we are interested in how they felt about the sound of their own voice when they heard it on an answering machine. You have reached the voicemail box of... I'll give you my answer. I said the diction, which was kind of called out in the obituary, is too good. It's basically, I think it's a yes, but I think you could also say that there's a Casey Kasem no, which is when the voice is too valuable to actually put it on an answering machine. I think I'm going yes. What do you got? I'm going to make a case. What you talked about at the beginning, I think the thing I love about you, number three, was that he cusses a lot. Yes. Right. So there is a, there is a Alex Trebek host of Jeopardy and there is a real Alex Trebek. Okay, so let me pause on that real quick then. So I agree with that. And I think we even kind of, we the viewer knew that. And I, you know, I feel like there are some people whose fame we don't distinguish the man in front of the camera or the woman in front of the camera and the man or woman behind the scenes. Yes. I think with Alex Trebek, there was almost a conscious, I've got more here. But this but is you all you're doing. But you knew it. Like the viewer was conscious of the withholding and was okay with it and kind of admired him for it. Yeah, so here's the question I'm posing. If he's recording the outgoing message, does he do it as the host of Jeopardy? Or does he say, please leave a fucking message? (laughs) Uh, But he can't. He can't do the latter because who knows who's calling. And so given that he, it's so important for him to maintain this image of the host of Jeopardy and the agents and the advertisers and whoever are calling, I think he just lets the machine do it. I'm ready to sign off on that. I, <laughs> I think this is not at all to say that he doesn't like his own voice. <laughs> That's right. This is not about self-perception so much. It's also about voice consciousness and what it's being used for. And how much it matters. How much it matters. Yeah. It's sort of a Casey Kasem no in a way. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Next category. Regrets, public or private. Do you want me to start? Uh, yeah, I I. Don't have a ton here, so I do want you to start. Okay. I don't have a ton here either. On the public front, we already talked about wanting to have a grandchild. He did joke at one point during Ken Jennings's run that he was spending more time with Ken Jennings than with his wife, but I don't know if that's actually a regret. And the other thing that was sort of show-specific, at least on the public side, do you, are you familiar with the term the forest bounce? I am. I learned it over the last week. Yeah. Oh, so you want to describe it? Yeah, it's basically the strategy. So the way Jeopardy is designed and the way most people play is you start in a category and you go all the way down with the lowest, category. With the lowest yeah. dollar value and then so 200 to 400 up. to 600 to 800 and so forth. Yeah, and then the Forrest bounce was there was this guy named Forrest who was a champion and he just randomly picked categories, but he felt because it gave him an edge because he knew what he was picking. Yes. But the other two contestants could not predict what would be next, so they would kind of be psyched out in some way. Correct. His name is Chuck Forrest. And the other thing about this strategy is it did apparently give you a better chance of landing on the Daily Double. And if you go back and look at Chuck Forrest's record, he did pretty well. Apparently, Trebek hated it. 
It really pissed them off when people would go out of order. I saw that. And I did wonder if he didn't have a regret about this should be the rules of Jeopardy, that we should, you have to go in order. But I don't know. There's not much to be said. So that's all I got on the, on the regret side. I didn't see a whole hell of a lot more. I think on the private side, I've got a little bit more. This has come up quite a few times on the show, but flirtations with acting. Did you see some of the, his attempts to get acting roles? Yeah, I mean, other than the playing himself, yes, there was, was it an X-Files? That's the best one, where he and Governor Jesse Ventura, I think before he was governor, played a bad guy. It was like they were called Men in Black, and they were protecting aliens or something. I never saw the episode. But I actually think Alex Trebek would play a good bad guy. I think he could do that well. And uh, he wasn't able to get roles because he was typecast as the host of Jeopardy. I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't do anything but play himself, and he realized that pretty soon. Yeah. So I think that's a regret. And that's kind of what I wonder is the fact that he can't do anything but play himself. There was clearly this voicemail argument for two Alex Trebek's. Yeah. But I guess he only had to do it two days a week. You know, I made the case in Leonard Nimoy with, I didn't like the singular association with the character. Yes. And Alex Trebek is definitely one of those that we have a very singular association with him. No question. I mean, I don't think he was public about it being a problem. I think, like you said, he didn't, he wasn't, out and about that much outside of the show. He had a very good family life. And as soon as the cameras turned off, he played himself. Yes. So I don't see that as much of a regret for him. I am curious, though. So Jeopardy, this version of Jeopardy, launched in 1984. Correct. When he was 44 years old. What about all that time leading up to it? We know about the marriage that ended amicably after seven years. Are there any regrets in that time that you viewed or read about? I don't think so. I, I mean, you know, he settles in. Do you, by the way, you know, one thing that hasn't come up yet is how he got into this game show racket in the first place. It involved Alan Thicke and Lucille Ball. Correct. Yes. Alan Thicke of Growing Pains fame, the dad on Growing Pains, who is sadly not with us. Yes. And Lucille Ball, who played, you know, I Love Lucy. Yeah. She and he her, was roommates with Alan Thicke. They, he? Alan Thicke is the reason Alex Trebek is with us. I, one thing I tried to find, because— it, it, he wasn't just roommates with him. Like Alec Thick is the man who said, and this is in the biography, said, Alex, you need to move to L.A. Like there is opportunities galore here. I'll hook you up. He gets a fellow Canadian come this way. Seriously. And Trebek gets a job as on some game show. I'm forgetting the name of it. It gets canceled. Alan Thick hooks him up with a second job. Um, I mean, like he's really instrumental in getting his career underway. I couldn't find anything about did they remain friends over the years? I got really curious about this because I would have thought, given that Trebek owes Alan Thicke a debt of gratitude for everything that happened. As does Leonardo DiCaprio. How so? He got his start on Growing Pains. Oh, right. Fuck. Alan Thicke. Yeah. Save that for a future conversation. <laughs> That's a good question. I don't see it. So in the 70s, he is sort of like beginning to ingratiate himself with Hollywood. Lucille Ball, as you said, recommends him, I think more than once as a game show host. People clearly see his aptitudes for it. He does talk about trying cocaine once and hating it. Trebek does, that is. Okay. He also talked about, there was some like weekend getaway thing that a, a show that he was a part of that there was like a retreat in Mexico where apparently... And there, there was a fair amount of celebrities at the time. It was the first time he felt like he was like making it in Hollywood. So I, I don't know. I think that that draw is there. I think he sees opportunities for himself. He was a broadcaster, kind of journalist broadcaster in Canada before he got to L.A. What exactly is the plan? It's it's kind of unclear. 
Are there regrets? I, I don't think so. I don't think he wants to be a journalist or a newsman. I think he's handsome enough to make it as an actor, but he's not like taking acting classes necessarily. This game show host thing seems to be a destiny. His that, calling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I don't I don't see the regret. Yeah, I just saw a lot of persistence, you know, a lot of trial of new game show formats that he did for other people. They failed and he kept going yep. and he kept persisting. And eventually Lucille Ball told Merv Griffin yeah. that you should have Alex Trebek host this Jeopardy that you're restarting in nineteen eighty four. And the rest is history. And the rest is history. But I do want to point this out. Yeah. So this is not a regret, but do you remember the Nelson Mandela conversation we had about importance? You know, and you you said something to the effect of, well, I'm 43 years old. Who knows if that ship has sailed? Yes. Alex Rex started hosting Jeopardy at 44. I, I'm not just saying that as, as inspiration for you, Michael, is that you even said in the Kenny Rogers episode that Kenny Rogers' trajectory started at like age 38. And you used Brian Cranston yeah. as another example. I love these examples, maybe just because I'm 44, but I love the never too late Example. I agree. I got one more in the regret that I feel like we have to talk about. The Jeopardy successor. Who's going to take over the reins? He didn't know, though. No, but I, I, I speculate on this as a regret. He, he didn't have a better plan for it. Because he's he, nobody can mentor the successor. I was trying to think of other handing over of hosts, right? I would, for whatever reason, I was Tonight thinking, Show, definitely. Tonight Show is a good example, I suppose. I was thinking about The Daily Show. I, I like Trevor Noah, but I haven't really watched much since Jon Stewart left. Yeah, it lost me. Yeah. What's another example I was thinking about? I can't think of it in terms of television, but CEOs do it all the time. Yeah, well, uh, sure. I guess that my point is that Trebek knows the success of the program of Jeopardy, and he knows that this is an institution in American television and around the world, for Christ's sakes. Didn't he have kind of a responsibility to train the successor? I kind of want that of him. And I wonder if he didn't think about that. I mean, there were there were names thrown, there's a lot of names thrown out. And right now they don't even really have a permanent host. They're yeah, rotating duties. Exactly. Yeah. And and I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, controversy and, and messiness that happened. Did you follow what happened with this guy, Mike Richards? Mm -mm. There's a, a journalist at the Ringer, a woman named Claire McNeil, who wrote a book all about Jeopardy. And yeah, I read one of her articles. Yeah, she, it's really good. And she was up to speed on who this guy Mike Richards was. Who There was a, a process for who was going to be Alex Trebek's successor. And he ends up nominating himself, kind of. There's some like behind-the-scenes shenanigans. But the guy also had a podcast. And if you go back and listen to it, this guy sounds like like not a great guy. There's some real sexism coming out. There's some real like immaturity coming out. And because of her reporting, he ended up having to actually step away from that role. There was so much negative blowback. Anyway, I feel like if you are at the helm of something, like you have a responsibility to figure out who's going to follow you. Even if cancer comes on kind of fast and you don't know that, you know, when and how you're going to die. I don't know. He's 80. He's seven, in the late 70s anyway. He knew he was like maybe heading towards retirement. I feel like it could have been a regret. What's the argument against for not naming your successor? I don't know. I mean, it's such a like neutral place too to like celebrate intellectualism, you know? I feel like we don't have enough of that in in American culture, right? Quite the opposite. We live in an anti-intellectual culture. And Jeopardy stands in the face of that. And Alex Trebek like embodies that. Thing number one was curiosity. So there's a part of me that Feels like, yeah, you have an obligation to find the next person who represents what it means to celebrate intelligence. You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. And maybe I'm mad at him. <laughs> yeah, I think I, well, you are. And maybe if he knew you were mad at him and he knew that you times several million people could potentially be mad at him for it, that could be a regret. All right, next category. 
Good dreams, bad dreams. Does this person have a haunted look in the eye? Is there something that suggests turmoil, inner demons, or unresolved trauma? Absolutely. The man was like a lifelong insomniac. Yeah. And that doesn't come out of nowhere. I don't think that's completely... I mean, maybe it can be completely genetic. So, But there's a lot of speculation, a lot of unanswered questions. And insomnia is miserable. Yes. I have experienced it in bouts. It is miserable. So I'm saying horrible dreams. I agree, but I want to talk about this look in the eye thing. Okay. I see something. You do? I do. I don't know what it is. And maybe it's a little bit of the condescendingness that comes when a contestant gives the wrong answer. There's a little bit of like sharpness there. I don't think the guy is nasty necessarily, but I see something here. I see something. It's interesting because I said in my Malkovich moment that he had this ability just at a time to turn on the eyes and let you spill out the rest of the answer. But what you're saying is just the constant look. I mean, there may have been something there. His parents did split at a young age. His father was an alcoholic, it sounds like. I think that there's a lot of self-determination in his story. I think that there's also this reserved quality. But yeah, man, I don't know what it is. It's not a strong one. It was a slight bad dreams if you remove the insomnia from it. But yeah, I see something. Yeah, I wonder if it's like there's so much knowledge and so much disparate knowledge going through his head by reading all these clues every day. So write 10 episodes over two days, right? 8,000 over the course of time. So all this knowledge and all these facts, they all pass through him. And he said that he could typically answer about two-thirds of them, right? But I don't know, you just know this many facts. I wonder if your brain just starts to move into directions of looking for patterns where patterns aren't there. Yeah, And it's hard to turn off your mind with that much knowledge in just all across the board. But do you see that too? Or do I see the look? Yeah. I need to look at, I didn't, but I'll take a closer look. All right, then. But I did see the insomnia. And to me, like, that's... Horrible dreams. That was That's horrible dreams, because it is. Like, if you don't fall asleep well, and insomnia dreams are bad, typically. Second to last category, cocktail, coffee, or cannabis. This is where we ask, which one would we most want to do with our dead celebrity? This may be a question of what kind of drug sounds like the most fun, or another philosophy is that a particular kind of drug might allow us access to a part of them that we're most curious about. Amit, what do you have? Cannabis. (laughs) Uh, And I'll tell you why. So I don't think there's a lot of access problems with Trebek. Because as they say, like as soon as the show wasn't airing, he was self-deprecating, he was making jokes, he was cussing. As you said, I don't think it takes that much to get access to the other part. What I'm saying is the what I said about the insomnia, that maybe it's just all this knowledge and this like pattern seeking and stuff that he just overdosed on it. With some cannabis, he may be able to put it together. And I, I'm not saying that's my role with him, but with as much knowledge that is stored inside of him, I want to kind of get his, like, Yuval Harari's History of the World through Alex Trebek. Mm. Author of Sapiens? Yes. Yeah. I kind of want to know how he sees how we got to this point and where we're going. I mean, do you consider him an intellectual? Or is he just promoting intellectualism? Because I think there's no question he's doing that. This is beyond trivia. I think that's something that's debated, and that's like in, you know, the SNL impersonation. I think he is. Yeah. I think he is, and I think you can become an intellectual, right? It's not necessarily a nature thing. Yeah. And I just think by the nature of his job, in order to do it as well as he did, he became an intellectual. Yeah. It's good. I like that answer. Shall I go? Yes. So usually when I sense intelligence, I go coffee. 
because I want to learn from people. But I actually went cocktail here for a couple of reasons. One is that I think the sense of humor is there, actually. And I want to hang out and have a drink and laugh with them. Not smoke a joint, but actually like have a drink and laugh in that kind of like light buzz and kind of way. But But I also do still have some real questions about like, I want to get inside a little bit more. And my mechanism for that usually is a drink, a nice stiff drink. And I think it'd probably be like a whiskey sour or something, maybe scotch and soda. It should be a little bit classy, yeah. you know, because he's a dapper Definitely. man. Yeah. I have my suspicions about what's really going on inside. And I, I, you know, I, for what it's worth, admire his boundaries in terms of how much he did and did not let the public in. I think the man is comes across incredibly balanced. I think it's something very admirable about him. But everybody's got a secret inside somewhere. And I'd like to find out what his are. I assume there's more than one. I said R. Yes. I want to say something about the what you let off with, which was the humor. So some of the things when they went to commercial break and all Trebek used to talk to the audience and they would throw questions at him and a lot of them would repeat. Yeah. But I read some of the funnier things that he said that often he was asked, how do you prepare for each show? And he, an answer he used to like to give would he'd say, I drink. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. And then they'd ask, who should succeed you as host? And he said, Betty White. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. One of my favorite ones, somebody said, uh, boxers or briefs? And he paused and said, thong. Which, <laughs> uh, which yeah, coming with that suit is just great. Well, shit. All right. I think we're here. The Vanderbeek, named after James Vanderbeek, who famously said in Varsity Blues, I don't want your life. Ahmet, based on everything we've talked about, Alex Trebek's life, do you want it? I don't like the insomnia. That sucks. Yeah. I don't like dying from pancreatic cancer, but it sounds like he managed that as lucky as you can, given the horror of that illness. Where I kind of struggle a little bit, though, is the meaning, the what's it all for. But I think I landed on it, and I think what we kind of talked about with knowledge, you know, putting intellectualism out into an accessible part of the world and make it entertaining. I think there's tremendous virtue in that. You know, you just think about being a game show host. Would I want to be a game show host and that's my life's work? I mean, I don't think so, but I don't think he was that. I think he was a purveyor of knowledge and one who celebrated it and made it entertaining and accessible. You know, when we first met, do you remember who I worked for? You were at Wikipedia at the time? Yes, at the Wikimedia Foundation that manages Wikipedia. Also synonymous with knowledge, but somehow being cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what Trebek was. You know, you said we're gravitating towards anti-intellectualism. Yes. He didn't. He made it entertaining. He made it constant and broadly appealing. And I think there's meaning in that. Uh, everything we said about the family sounds great. There's no visible scandalous or negative things. I didn't hear a lot about the friendships. There's a little concern about, you know, maybe he and Alan Thicke separated. But all of it together, yes. I want your life, Alex Trebek. I mean, that's basically where I'm at. I mean, I do think the family life is good. I do want to see grandkids. I do. But that's icing on the top. I think that the thing that I came out of the gate with, curiosity, both a promoter of it and an embodiment of it, I mean, sometimes I feel like the answer to all of life's problems is captured in that word. That whatever else you're going through at any point in life, when you find and locate and nurture your inner curiosity, like you are on the right track. That is like the whole fucking ball game for what life is all about. 
I guess there's a little bit of a question in my mind about Jeopardy as a representation of intellectualism. The relationship between trivial knowledge and true knowledge, right? Wisdom, even. Not just information, but wisdom. Wisdom's a good word. Yeah. I think Jeopardy comes as close to anything as promoting that in an almost subversive way because it is built around this very tight structure of we're going to bang through these questions really fast. And there's a, a dramatic arc from Jeopardy to Double Jeopardy to Final Jeopardy. And and I think that what it means to host anything is – I heard Ira Glass say this once. It's, you know, you're throwing a party. To host is to throw a party. And I think he's throwing a party. Maybe they'll find somebody else to take the helm, and maybe that person will have resonance with a mass audience. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if this game show dies in the next few years because because he just did it so goddamn well. I was a pretty strong yes, even though I was trying to hold myself back. I, I don't even really see the case for the no. I guess the biggest case for the no on the Vanderbeek here is that I don't want to be smug. You know? perceived as smug, even. Correct. And I think that's why the second thing I love about him is that he he said fuck a lot. Because he wanted to make sure people knew that. Goddamn right, you know? Like, it's so, hell yeah, I want this life. I mean, I think a resounding yes, I want your life, Alex Trebek. You Canada lover, you. My applause (laughs) one. It is the Canada thing. So who's going to take us out? I kind of want to see you do it. Do you think you can do it? Yeah, I think so. Michael, you've arrived at the pearly gates. You are Alex Trebek. You are meeting St. Peter, the proxy for the Unitarian afterlife. Make your case. (laughs) I don't have to do this in the form of a question, do I? St. Peter, Alex here. Who, by the way, I am a lifelong Catholic. I'd like to keep this as simple as possible. What I'm known for, what I did with my life, was I was a lifelong learner. I started at a very young age, and it carried through into adulthood. And eventually I was given an opportunity to host a show. The point of it was to demonstrate the breadth of knowledge that humankind has discovered and is exploring. I was there to help people see what it looks like and what it feels like to be smart and to strive to be smarter. And that is a great thing. Being curious and leading a life of exploration in whatever knowledge domain it may be is enriching, it's empowering, and it may be the whole reason that we're here. And I was there to promote that both in who I was as a man, who I was in my family, who I was on television for 37 years. I tried to do it with grace, I tried to do it with humor, and I tried to do it with humility. And for that, please let me up. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Famous and Gravy. If you're enjoying our show, please go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us. It really does help new listeners to find the show. We would love to see you on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Famous and Gravy. We've got lots of fun stuff there on our Twitter feed. Also, please sign up for our newsletter on our website, FamousAndGravy.com. Famous and Gravy was created by Amit Kapoor and me, Michael Osborne. This episode was produced by Morgan Honecker. Original theme music by Kevin Strang. And thanks also to our sponsor, Half Price Books. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.